0: I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative, and here to talk with me about the Assembled Avengers, is John Mills.
1: That's true. I have uh, snuck back into my ancestral home of this podcast, uh, bringing the body of a vanquished foe of ours, um, and now this joke has backed me into a corner because I don't know who I would name, but uh, somebody that people don't like That is in a bag There with you me. go. So there you go. I mean.
0: Always a plus to name people, somebody that people don't like, and th- and then they can insert any name they want.
1: Exactly. So. Exactly yeah. right. It's the entire uh, <laughs> starting lineup of that Boston Red Sox team that uh, lost the World Series that year, that everybody held a grudge about.
0: Sure, so, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, um, we are going to be talking about something really cool uh, tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking about Black Panther. Uh, and, uh, before we get there, I did just want to say thank you to everybody who's listening. And of course, you know, we're in the 602 club feed, so just make sure you're subscribed to that and you'll get the shows as soon as they drop. And we'd really appreciate reviews or ratings on places like Apple podcasts or Spotify. That would be fantastic. Uh, and of course, uh, you can also find us on social media at the 602 club on Twitter, access to two club tfm uh we'd love your follow there your interaction we you know we love doing that with people and um yeah and of course you could also find us on facebook at facebook.com slash fm you can discuss things with listeners from all over the world and the babel conference which is our listeners only discussion group on facebook and of course we've got the website at trackfm and we'd really appreciate though if you'd go over to patreon and become a patron supporter of the tfm network you can go to patreon.com slash fm and and see how you can be part of the team it definitely is very expensive to put all this together and just was even talking to uh chris who is our leader here tonight as we record another show and we were talking about ways that we want to continue to make the network better but we can't do that without listeners like you so again go to patreon.com slash Trek fm so Sometimes, John, we dive into history uh, when it comes to these films. And I was fascinated to learn that this is a movie that had kind of been in development hell since 1992 with one Wesley Snipes.
1: Yeah, which which makes total sense when you think about it. If you're going to mm-hmm. kick um, a, a high-profile black superhero character in the 90s, Wesley Snipes is a name that's going to come up. At that time, yep. he was he came into his action hero, uh, you know, uh, uh, phase of his career right there in the 90s, Passenger 57, later Blade, another comic book movie. Right. And he uh, he mm-hmm. had a very high profile. Wesley Snipes. I'm mean, like, I I can honestly say. Of all of the actors in the 1990s, if you'd come up to me at that time and said, I'm going to make a Black Panther movie, I'd be like, Snipes will be in it then, right? Like, seriously, mm-hmm. like, and I'm not saying that in like a pandering way. I'm saying, like, that's who ubiqui- how ubiquitous the guy was in action movies back then. Yep. And so, you know, and all, I mean, also comedy, he was a great comic actor. Uh, and dramatic, I mean, actor, had, you know,
0: uh, yeah, no, I I like that you mentioned that because I do feel like that he had a lot of range. He could do yeah. a lot of different types of things. And like you said, you know, I mean, from the guy who was going to be Blade, he was in Demolition Man. He's in all of these type of films. You know, oh, it, he was it, great in
1: Demolition Man. too. Yeah, he really, you was. know, it
0: just makes sense that you would. I mean, and it also makes sense that he would want to do Black Panther, which is, you know, he called it the antithesis to African stereotypes. Uh, yep. And so that was really important to him. And and, and something that I think is interesting because that will obviously get carried on throughout the entire run of creating Black Panther, bringing him to the screen, is, is going to be paying homage to that creation in the comics and that portrayal on screen of just something that's very different than we have gotten in the past. And so... Yeah. It takes years, obviously, until they are able to get to the point where they're going to make this movie. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. by the time they get to uh, Marvel, Marvel Studios doing it, they had thought about introducing him as early as uh, Iron Man 2. But they decided they just didn't want to do that until they – have an idea of how they're going to be portraying this whole world that he comes from. And so they decided to hold back and they actually continue to hold back. And it it's quite a while until they finally land on Ryan Coogler to direct the film and bring it to screen, which had you seen Creed at this point, too, which was Coogler's really big film.
1: I, I actually had not. I'd heard about Creed being I didn't see Creed uh until after I saw this. Um I saw it streaming or whatever. Wow, a uh, Rocky I,
0: movie that I had seen before you.
1: Yeah, you know, it was one of the well okay, look, the, the strange thing with Creed is I, I I'll freely admit to it. I was extremely skeptical that mm-hmm. it was gonna work. You know, like I honestly, you look at the history of Rocky sequels, right? Yeah. It's yep. sort of like uh, it's sort of like the Star Trek cadence where it was like yes. oh the original oh that one was okay that one wasn't was so okay. oh and then there was a great one and then the, and then there was a real bad one so it's like mm-hmm. and Rocky Balboa had been such I loved it so much that I was like you know I like I'd said goodbye to it but I have actually gone back and I know this is taking us down a whole different rabbit hole and everything but like um I actually frequently cite uh, Creed as the type of formula that I wish they had used with The Force Awakens. I thought that was a perfect series reboot. Yeah. You had a new character that was really interesting, different from the previous character, paid true homage to all of the best stuff of the, of the past, all of those sorts of things. I think that Creed is one of the best examples of how to reboot a series. That being said, no, I hadn't seen it by the time I saw uh, Black Panther.
0: And which I find fascinating uh, because it is one of those things where I had seen it because it had gotten such good reviews. And uh, it was one of those things which I was really skeptical of, just like you were, because I knew kind of the history of the Rocky sequels and how they went. And then this was just getting such rave reviews. So obviously... Ryan Coogler directs this. Uh, you've got um, – he's going to bring in Michael B. Jordan to be in this movie as well. And then you're going to get, um, you know, Ludwig Gordonson doing the music. So he kind of brings over a lot of his people. Uh, and yep. in fact, that's one of the things that Coogler does with this movie, which I thought was really interesting for the director, is he brings his team with him so that this yeah. is not just all in-house Marvel people making this movie. He's very intent – On this movie being his movie and one that puts its stamp on what the character and the world of Black Panther is going to be like, without it just feeling like this kind of you know homogenized Marvel universe type thing.
1: Yeah, there's a franchise that you and I love very much, where the uh, executive producer on that very much insisted that the people that did the sequels, uh, the second and third movies. Were brought along their uh, their DP and their editor, the, mm-hmm. the people they were comfortable with. So I think that's exactly the right thing to do. If you're going to hire a director, especially an established director, you should let them bring the people yeah. they like to work with because they know how to communicate with them, and it's going to make it that much easier because there's going to be a whole bunch of new stuff they have to take into account. It, why yeah. not let them bring the people over that can understand their shorthand and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. it, it definitely uh, an incredibly smart move to let Kugler do that, um, and hopefully they encouraged him to do that. I would think.
0: Oh, I I hundred percent agree with you on that point, and um, it, so you know, as we're talking about that, then with so this is kind of the first time in I feel like the Marvel universe. You know, since Guardians, where we're really kind of almost creating a movie that feels like it's kind of divorced from the rest of what's... I mean, like, there's, mm. there is some connections here, right? You know, obviously we've met Black Panther before as a character, and the, and the beginning of this movie is a connection to what happened in his previous appearance. But the rest of this movie is a movie about Wakanda. It's a movie about the character of T'Challa. It's not yeah. about the larger MCU. So I just wanted to throw it to you. Like, how do you feel like then it does in, in basically introducing us to a whole other side of the Marvel Universe, which is going to be kind of important for the movies that are coming up?
1: Well, I, I mean, I it's an incredibly important move for them to make, to have it stand on its own. I mean... They created, by taking that approach, by giving Kugler freedom, all of those sorts of things, they created an event movie that even non-Marvel fans Mm -hmm. got excited about. They Mm -hmm. managed to create something that had nothing to do with it being a Marvel movie so much as it had to do with being a Black Panther movie. And when you think about it, that is, you know, when people talk about using your platform, that was actually a pretty classy thing for Marvel to do to say, I mean, there's almost a sense of divestiture where it's like, yeah, it's got the Marvel imprint on it, but they're saying this isn't about us. This Mm -hmm. is about the movie. And that works very much to its advantage. I think they sell Mm -hmm. more tickets that way. I mean, not to be like cynical about it, but that on your bottom line, you're trying to get butts in the seats. You create something where you say, hey, look, it doesn't matter whether you saw any Marvel movie before this. This is Black Panther. This is something completely new. You wind up pulling people in, you create new fans, you expose them to – and in terms of the character, right, in terms of the marketing, in terms of the construction of this, they were incredibly smart because Black Panther is not a character that non-comic book fans are terribly familiar with. I knew who Black Panther was. I loved Black Panther when I was growing up. He was a great character that they brought in. I loved reading him in the comics, all of that type of stuff. And it's a really great, um, you know, Marvel did some great stuff like that. And, um, but you're not dealing with an Iron Man and you're not dealing with a Captain America. You're not dealing with a top of mind Marvel character like Spider-Man. You're dealing with a character who is known very much to the audience, you know, the target Audience, but not to the people outside of it. And when you think about it, they've really leveraged the marketing machine for a character that isn't. You know, I I'm not saying this in a dismissive way, but it's not like a top of mind, first tier character that you're bringing in here. You're not. This isn't a Spider-Man movie. This is Black Panther, which is yeah. like, it's different.
0: Well, and and for me. It- rewatching this it really became the comparison to what i kind of felt like they allowed gun to do for guardians which is we're yeah. going to introduce you to a whole new world <laughs> literally for him whole new worlds right in the marvel universe and and to do that we we need this movie to feel like It's not as concerned about the rest of it because this is enough to try to introduce all of this to you. And obviously for Black Panther, I mean, to create the world of Wakanda, which has been hidden from the world for a very long time as we learn in the prologue, that's very important. To, to have an understanding of what the society is, what it looks like, how it behaves, how the people there behave, you know, giving uh, life to the different tribes of Wakanda, you know, and, and how they each very much differ from one another. This is not a homogenized society. Mm-hmm. And then to bring life to its technology, which because of vibranium, they are incredibly technologically advanced. And so – You know, I I think the thing that is very smart for them to do here is the same thing that they did for uh, Guardians. And, uh, you know, in many ways, Black Panther has its own feel uh, from the beginning because it's also a movie that does start with a prologue, right? To help us understand the world we're about to enter.
1: Yeah, which is uh, kind of a step that. In a sense, this is going to sound like a weird comparison, but it's you typically only get something that detailed in like a Doctor Strange where they feel obligated to really go into details about where the things came from. And we'll see it with the Infinity Stones and stuff like that. But like, you know, I do like the fact that they basically create this believable alternate history uh, for Wakanda. But but something that really struck me on this rewatch and I've always sort of felt this way is this movie belongs immediately after Civil War. It really mm. does. And one of the things I find curious as we're going through and we're doing this rewatch is, and we even touched on this when we talked about Civil War, all of the hype was around Spider-Man. Yes, people mm-hmm. talked about Black Panther, but at the end of that, it was Spider-Man will return at the end right. of Civil War. It wa- and it wasn't. it doesn't feel right. Especially because they even talk about at the beginning of this movie that it's days after Civil War, but we have several movies between us and Civil War. And so it, it kind of bugged me this time because I'm like, they really should use the momentum of Civil War to go into Black Panther. Do I think it would have made it more successful? Uh, no. I, I, I'm not even thinking in those terms, but story-wise, it made sense to go straight into it.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you think about the fact that you have Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, mm-hmm. Spider-Man home- coming, and Thor Ragnarok before you get the Black Panther,
1: right? that's crazy. Th- these cards should be shuffled so that it's Civil War, Black Panther, I'll give you Doctor Strange, and then Guardians of the Galaxy, they can kind of go in any order there, Spider-Man... And then we talked about this when we talked about Ragnarok. The teaser on that—why didn't that happen right before Infinity War? Like that stinger—is yeah. Thanos finding them? Like it's it it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, because the, this the is way an that they odd movie. It.
0: Because the very next movie is Infinity War.
1: Right. It's it's bizarre, and and that. And Ragnarok has directly to do with, you know, setting up Infinity War. And again, I'm not – it's not the fault of this movie at all. It's just – it's a curious – it's a curious thing. Although I will say that when I go back, if I ever do like a rewatch or anything, I am going to shuffle phase three and Mm -hmm. watch it in that order because I am convinced it works better that way.
0: That's actually a really good idea. And I think, no, you are 100% right – that if this had come right after civil war and then Ragnarok was the thing that came right before Infinity War it it just works better storywise and then the other ones can go in whatever order basically you want there's not really um you know uh, in fact you know Doctor Strange could be the one that comes right before uh Thor Ragnarok because it kind of leads in with its
1: Well stinger, yeah Doctor Doctor you know. Strange yeah. Doctor Strange is in Thor Ragnarok so
0: yeah 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 So, no, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, it is very interesting. And like you said, it has nothing to do with whether or not this movie is good or not, but it's just or whether it would have made more money or anything. But it just story wise, when you are rewatching it, it is very strange with the I just I wanted to ask you about that production of of creating Wakanda and the look and the feel of this film. How does that work for you, especially coming back to it? Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how long it's been since you've watched it, but coming back to it, what, what do you think?
1: Uh, I think that one, the small screen helps the effects realization of the production sensibilities, because um, when it was on the big screen, the, the seams showed a little bit too well. Um, there are still some compositing issues, but in terms of the actual design, that's always been something that I admired about this movie is that it didn't just do world building to give it you know lip service, there was an actual visual sensibility tied to it that I could tell the difference between the different tribes, I could tell the difference when you know, even between. And I know this will sound silly because some of the effects really do fall through in the end. But at a distance, I can tell who's in which Black Panther suit when they're fighting at a glance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, coming from the Lucas fanboy school, I should be able to tell things at a glance. I should be able to sit down and it plays. Okay, I know who's who on the screen right now, even if I'm coming into it cold. Um, And it worked. It worked well in that in that sense and you know we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about the uh, the effects being kind of a letdown in certain points but mm-hmm. uh I thought the art direction was great I thought the production yeah. design was great I I believed in the street that they were on when they're walking through the center of town yep. I was like yep. that looks like a that looks like a functional city street whether the compositing is perfect doesn't matter it looks like the way a town would be built yeah so
0: I agree with you completely on that point because I really do think that one of the strengths of this movie and, and obviously something that they were very keen to do, which was to make this feel like what would have happened to an African country that had no outside impact from you know any type of colonialism as well as the riches of a resource like vibranium at their fingertips – and so I think yeah. I think they do put a lot of thought into the type of place that this and, and they did a ton of research, obviously from from the countries surrounding where Wakanda is supposed to be in Africa to find reference points and sort of kind of pull all that together. You know, even with the the costuming and and those type of things for the different uh, tribes of Wakanda and and just the look and the feel of what you know the the main city looks like and everything. So I, I think. It feels like a real place, like it feels like something um, slightly fantastical, which makes sense, but it does have this real place.
1: Well, and what's very interesting is fighting an impulse that that I have, you know, when you're creating the alternate history, uh, you know, Wakanda is completely isolated from everybody, but sort of the history of things is that trade, you know, commerce and exchange between cultures is still necessary for certain technological, like technology does not advance in a void sort of thing.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's true.
1: But I think that there's, it's perfectly fine to give it what I would call the Iron Man exception. If I'm going to live in a movie universe where iron man can build the suit that he does in a cave while he has metal shavings in his chest that are threatening to kill his heart i'm Mm -hmm. like okay then i can look the other way with that but i do think that it's (laughs) it's an interesting (laughs) bind to find yourself in because it is a really interesting history but it it is a fantastical one in the sense that there would have to be some sort of trade outside of wakanda's borders with somebody mm-hmm. in order to you know for for certain advancements to you know like it, it, it's but again like i said it's not an important point i'm mm-hmm. in a universe where the guardians of the galaxy exist, where the infinity stones yes. exist where yeah. dr strange exists and so i'm not hung up on it i, I want to make that very clear it's just yeah. one of those things yeah. where it's like you have to make that handshake agreement with the movie mm-hmm. to to look at it that way.
0: And on top of that, you know, I think one of the interesting – as you were mentioning that, I w- we see that Wakanda has, you know, spies in every country. Right. You know, so it kind of makes sense that when it comes to, like, technological advances and all those kind of things, they would be very up on what's happening in the world, whether or not they're necessarily quite open with the rest of the world um but they would have an idea of what's happening and you know with the, of the ability that vibranium gives them with and, i mean cuz it's not just something that is a strong metal that nothing can penetrate um it is also something that is used as a power source i mean like shuri right. says it's it's this all in one thing basically uh it's it's the amazing metal.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think it's I think it's so I, I do think it's so interesting that the movie opens with basically the asteroid of vibranium hitting uh Wakanda, you know, in, in agents in ages past to sort of see right. everything. I think it's um it's very comic booky, but it's very cool yeah. that they they at least go the length of saying it's like, well, the reason it's all there is because it got deposited there, right? So, like, I think that's very much a uh, you know a, a very important thoughtful point that they give to it because they knew it's almost like they knew that somebody would sit there and say, well, why would it all be concentrated right there? And they opened mm-hmm. immediately. It was like it was an asteroid. Okay, just let it go. It's like okay, that's <laughs> exactly.
0: <fine. laughs> no, I I hundred percent agree with you on that, and it is. I mean, it's just a great way to to you give your your point and then you move past it and i mean you know like you said you're in a comic book universe so you just you accept it and you move on and and that's something that the movie does really well i wanted to ask you about the cast here Mm -hmm. because am i wrong in thinking that this may be one of the best casts ever assembled for any Marvel movie, just single Marvel movie, when it comes to the quality of every actor involved. I mean, it is, is that crazy to say that?
1: I don't think it's crazy to say that. I think that what you have is you have a very energized cast who cares very much about the, the film. You can tell everybody cares about putting this film together. Th- this is not just a job to anybody on set. They showed up to make this movie. Yeah. And that's a testament to not just their professionalism and dedication, but to the director. Because it's very obvious that Kugler commanded their respect. That they, you know, mm-hmm. it, unless a director connects with the cast, he's not going to get the performances he needs. And I think that, uh, w- you know, with good reason, you know, Chadwick Boseman gets a lot of praise for because if mm-hmm. you don't buy him, you don't buy the rest of it. And this is important in a lot of ways because T'Challa breaks the Iron Man syndrome. He's a more serious character like a Captain America where he's not the joke driver he's even occasionally the butt of the joke yeah but he's not dour he's not dour he's charismatic and likable but Mm -hmm. he's not he's not uh magical tony stark he's not teenage tony stark he's not space ranger tony stark he's not uh ant-man tony stark like T'Challa breaks out of the Iron Man mold, and I think that's a very important stroke because we even regress Thor to Valhalla Iron Man, and it's like, you know, (laughs) like, so I think honestly, audiences, myself included, respond to the fact that we have a character who Mm -hmm. for once is not obsessed with the one-liners, like he's an actual serious character, I dig that, I like it. I like it a lot, and and I think helped a great deal by Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger, who's Mm -hmm. a fantastic villain. Yeah, like he is a fantastic villain, and I mean, basically, you know, we could go down the roster sort of thing, but uh, I got to tell you that um, probably the guy that I considered the real standout was uh, Winston Duke in terms of the supporting cast. Um.
0: Uh, yeah, he's pretty great.
1: He Baku. does get some of the yeah. funny lines. Yes, he but does. Man, he is. He's a really good character, and he's really well done. And I, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, again, you, you could just go on and on for whitaker or Angel, D blah blah blah. But like, I, uh, you know, Andy Circus. I was. Oh man, he's he's. I was
0: unchained in this. I was this movie. so like, disappointed
1: so disappointed that he got killed in this movie. I loved Claw as a villain and I consider it a bold and correct choice to kill him. Because otherwise he was going to steal the thunder from everybody. And yeah.
0: <laughs> it's true.
1: And I think it was it was great because that's one of those on-screen deaths that increases the risk for the other characters subconsciously for you. Because you go into this and you're like, oh, well, it's claw. He, of course, he's going to survive, mm-hmm. whatever. And then he dies, and you're like, oh, all right, everything's on the table. Who knows what's going to happen after that? It's it's a very important subconscious tell for the audience yep. that everybody's in danger. So it's the right choice, but a bummer because I like the character so much.
0: I mean, you know, I think and I real I mean, as you were talking, I just wanted to be, you know, Michael Scott. Yes! Thank you. You know, like when you were talking about the way that Chadwick Moseman plays this character and who this character is. And in many ways, I think he is the kind of like the second coming of the Captain America type. Right. Yeah. Like because he is noble. He has uh, just an incredible value system like, you know, and um, everything about him is Somebody who is striving to be above reproach, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's what makes the lessons that he learns from the mistakes his father made so painful for him, right? Because he learned how to be the man he was from his father, and yet he realizes what a failure his father was in some areas. And that's what kind of like makes this so difficult. And I just – like you said – He's not one who's making the joke all the time. He's not uh, um, one who um, is trying to lighten the mood artificially. He's a character who is taking the world and the responsibilities that have been thrust on him because of the death of his father very seriously. Which, you know, I went off on with uh, Thor Ragnarok of not being able to take serious moments seriously. This movie is the direct antithesis to that, and I'm so thankful because it's exactly what this movie needs because this is a very serious movie. We're talking about the course trajectory of the most powerful country on Earth that nobody knows about that can change everything. And if it's not done – if the right person doesn't end up in power here, we're kind of all screwed on planet Earth at least until Infinity War.
1: Yeah, right. You know, um, yes, and and something you hit on there that I think is really poignant and really important is that T'Challa is given a truly interesting maturity arc that is similar in some ways to Iron Man 2, where Tony has to come to, to some realizations about his dad and the nature of his dad, but it's sort of inverted. He always thought his dad was a jerk. He finds out his dad was actually a pretty good guy, just not you know, open to them and that sort of thing. T'Challa goes on a journey that I think is really important for kids to see, for everybody to see and to come to terms with is that your parents are human and they will make mistakes and you cannot turn your back on them. You cannot reject them just because they're human. There are bad parents out there. Yes. So of course, you know, there are always exceptions to the rule sort of thing. Um, you know, and this is just speaking in generalities, but it is a very important part of becoming an adult to realize how your parents made mistakes too, and they'll even continue to make them. And you have to be okay with that. And you have to say, okay, then I'm going to decide to be better. I'm going to, because that's what, speaking as a parent, I'm, I'm an imperfect person. I know this. I hope my kids are better than me. That's my whole goal. And so there are things about The way I used to be or things I said or did that I don't want them to do. So I don't talk about that with them. I don't plan to. But if they find out, I hope that it's at least in the context of they're like, yeah, but dad learned his lessons over time sort of Mm -hmm.
0: thing. Well, it's interesting because this is everything that Thor Ragnarok should have been. Yes. Because it's very similar in story. Um, But. And what's interesting is, is how Odin and T'Chaka are very similar as characters, right? They have a checkered past, which they literally just cover up and try mm-hmm. to negate. And in fact, they even abandon children um, so that mm-hmm. they can pretend like everything is okay. And I was just kind of struck by how really bad fathers are in the MCU, like absolutely terrible people in the MCU when you think of ego and you think of t'chaka and you think of uh odin like these guys are just they want they pretend howard stark
1: don't don't, don't howard leave howard stark. stark out of that one
0: they they pretend like they're good people and yet they're not and they leave all of these men in a place who are struggling to figure out what it means to be a man because they have lacked somebody to pass that manhood on to them in a way that is good and right and honorable. And I it's interesting when you think about how many of these male characters, I mean Spider-Man's in this boat too, because Tony Stark's a terrible father. Um, you know, so like it is just a problem in the NCU. And it continues here, and yet, and yet, the beauty of T'Challa is that unlike Killmonger, he's not left to fend for himself, and therefore he has a semi-good enough upbringing that gives him the morality that he needs to be able to reject the type of radicalization that happens. To Killmonger and even Killmonger's father. And Mm -hmm. so it's just it's so fascinating because even not great parents by being there can still make a huge difference in their children's lives for the better.
1: Yeah, I I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely something that the MCU is focused on. You know, you're absolutely right. And we will even see uh, the ultimate bad father in Thanos. Uh, which is which is interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, when you think about it, that's that that's what it is, and um, you know, just to ask Gamora and Nebula. Um, but but it is interesting because of the and fact we thought that
0: Star Wars had daddy issues.
1: Yeah, right. But but it is interesting because T'Challa is at peace with his dad by the end of it. Like he understands yes. that his his dad was trying to make right the mistakes that he had made by being a good father to to Mm -hmm. to t'challa and it's like in a sense there's there's sort of that um obi-wan and yoda sort of sense where it's like probably the dad kept putting off you know i'll tell him about this in the future and then maybe there's a lesson to the parents there that it's like well if there's anything big you should probably you don't know when you're going to buy it so maybe you should be you know uh doling out the information a little more more freely mm-hmm. with with the kids and everything but the thing is we're we're we've really been hitting on all of these great points what i'm curious what i want to ask you is are there any points where you feel like the story has a misstep or doesn't uh, ring true or goes down a rabbit hole or anything like that what what are the where are the places you see for improvement on this rewatch? I
0: think that's a really tough question because the things that I think that this movie doesn't do great all the time actually has to do with the effects work, which is dodgy in some areas, um, actually quite dodgy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it just doesn't hold up as well as it needs to all the time. I'm trying to think of honestly story-wise where I think that's the case and I I just don't think it does because I feel like this is a very cohesive film story-wise from beginning to end. It's really just some of that you know, uh production work, not the production of creating this universe and all that kind of stuff, but it it's the effects work that really just hinder me sometimes from... Because I'm pulled out of some of the scenes that just don't look great. Like that end battle, there's a lot of that that just isn't composited great.
1: I, um... I tend to fall in the camp where, especially in this rewatch, the action scenes drag a little bit at certain points. Not just the end one. But... The end one could be trimmed a bit, could, could be brought. I, yeah, I can agree there. Could be brought down. I think that what I call the James Bond scene, where they go and uh, they're, they're, they're trying to intercept Claw in Korea. Yeah, is, basically
0: in the same thi- uh, place yeah. from Skyfall. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think that that goes on a bit too long and does have some moments of what I call Marvel humor. That Mm -hmm. don't work particularly well. And I think the movie could have benefited from trimming that down a bit. I think that once it gets going. The movie is smooth as silk. With the exception of, Mm. of some of those action beats that need to be tightened. But what I found really interesting was that the action beats came to annoy me a little bit. Because the drama was done so well that I felt like for the first time in a while that this was a movie that felt obligated to have those action beats as opposed to stay focused on the drama it was doing so well. That's atypical for a Marvel movie. Sure. Because you know that it's a spectacle movie. It's a sort of thing. But it is a challenge that Marvel's had in other movies like Civil War. And, um, you know, where where the action beats are kind of like, you know, can we get back to the more interesting dramatic stuff instead of I know how this is going to turn. I know I know that T'Challa isn't going to die in this scene. I know that they're not going to have that. So can we just stop pretending and can we just get there a little bit faster so that we can get back to the more interesting mm-hmm. stuff? Yeah, um, no I,
0: I think you yeah. got a good point there. Uh, and I can totally see those. And, and now that you point them out, I I see it. Um, I don't think it bothers me as much as it bothers you. But I think one of the things that we have been kind of hitting on with all of the Marvel films is that most of their action sequences could be trimmed down. Yeah. And I do specifically believe that it's the final action sequence that's the most egregious in that area. There's just sometimes too much of the outside battle yep. other than the more personal battle that I care about, you know? And it's like, all of that I know is going to resolve itself, right? It's the battle between these two main foes and their ideology that's the most important here. And, and so that, that's what I wanted to ask you about. This is a movie that comes out at a very interesting time. It has a lot of very interesting and I think great things to say about the way in which we should interact with and act towards those that are different than us. And Killmonger's way of doing that is he has actually become the thing that he hated. He's actually become the people that he hated. He's become the people he now wants to destroy in the way that they act, the things that he, you know, accuses them of. He's basically doing. T'Challa says as much. Whereas T'Challa himself is about change by relationship, you know, um, change through openness, um, war last resort, which in many ways, I think as I was thinking about it, you know, you get almost a Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King type of, of a feel to this. So I just wanted to ask you how you felt about that because it really is. a, I mean, like that's the, that's the main crux of this movie is, the, the, the way that the, the battle of worldviews of these two characters.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, th- I think you're right. And it's um, what I think is interesting. What's necessary um, is to acknowledge the fact that the reason Killmonger is so interesting is the movie never condemns him. The movie makes him very understandable. You know why Killmonger feels this way. And T'Challa is yeah. even sympathetic to him, and rightly so. It's like I get it. Yeah, you got a raw deal, man, and I, I understand why you feel the way that you do. Um, and I think that's that's what makes that conflict so so interesting. Is because life is the question of what are you going to do with your circumstances? Are you going to become bitter? You know, it's the it's the Ebenezer Scrooge dilemma. What are you going to do? Are you going to become bitter and angry and hate the world? Or are you going to open up and try to change it for the better in with, you know, with peace and love and all of those sorts of things. Um, And so, you know, it's the Malcolm X MLK argument. It's the, the Charles Xavier and Magneto argument. It's the, what are you going to do? Well, at the same time, giving credence to why people feel the way that they do. That's, that's really the problem, right? And I think that's part of the journey that T'Challa goes on is he immediately rejects Killmonger. No, you're wrong. This is crazy. How can you feel that way? But by the end, he's treating him like a brother and saying, I understand. I don't want you to die. I want you to experience the beauty of everything. And it's Killmonger's choice to say, no, this is, you know, this is the logical end for me, which I do. I do still think is unfortunate because I would have, I would think Killmonger would be a very interesting character to bring back in a sequel and have him working side by side as, you know, like a trusted advisor with, with T'Challa and everything. Because I think there's also, you know, there's that acknowledgement of the importance of tradition that you can't just throw everything away. Like, cause what does Killmonger do after he drinks the, you know, the, the, flower potion or whatever burn it all there is going to be no other king i'm the end everything is coming to end the protest is no no no. this is this is tradition this is we keep this here for that reason and he just completely rejects it and it's finding that balance you you know there are still good things and yet you know you have to acknowledge that it's it's everything it's not just good and It's not just good or bad. It's everything all together and finding a way to emphasize the good and move forward Mm -hmm. sort of thing.
0: Well, and it – so basically he's the better Kylo Ren is what we're saying. You know, kill the (laughs) past if you have to. Um.
1: Uh, Yeah, actually. No, it's it's a very similar sort of argument. Yeah. Where, you know, Kylo Ren's whole thing is like destroy everything because I'm unhappy. And it's like, well, no, you you know – you got a raw deal, but you, you can still make things better, and mm-hmm. and recognize that not everybody yeah. is awful.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, to me, I, I just this is the thing that I think they do so well in this movie, and and like you said, this is a movie that just takes itself more seriously. And part of that is that uh, Killmonger is not a villain who's making a lot of jokes; uh, mm-hmm. he's a very very serious character. I think Michael B. Jordan plays him. I mean you just hate this guy I think because he is so – he's just so arrogant and he's so evil in what he's trying to do. Like he hates everything and he hates everyone and everybody should feel the same way he feels, right? Like that's, that's kind of his motivation um, and everybody has got to pay. And mm-hmm. so it's, and nobody likes that, and you know, like that's a scary villain because he basically wants to burn the world down, and 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 honestly, it's terrifying. And uh, but he does such a good job at playing that character, and yeah, I mean, I think for T'Challa, you know, when you get to the end there, and he wants redemption for him, he want he offers him redemption, right, and. Killmonger says no I, I don't want redemption basically yeah. um, and you know I, I what I love about this movie too is that when we get to the end T'Challa makes the decision that he is going to do something that no other king would do he's going to be different he's going to open up the borders and he is going to share what he has with the world um, and so is Wakanda and they're going to help make the world a better place um, any way they can. And, you know, starting in the place where his father made his greatest mistake is kind of a very poetic way, you know, to, to end the movie and kind of beautiful too, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's just really good. Um, I, I do want to mention because we haven't mentioned, but I really just love the familial relationship that he, Tchalla has with Shuri, I love the relationship he has with, you know, um Okoye, uh I lo- the with his mother, uh and then um you know with um and with Nakia, you know, I I think I, I I really love that. I thought they did a really good job of taking all of these new characters and making you really care about them. By giving them lots of great moments together that were full of you know fun and joy and all of those type of things to, in a way, give levity to a movie that is more serious in a way that I I felt like didn't necessarily take away from the seriousness of the film.
1: No, I, I it, this this is the difficult thing, right? Is we we've, we've been sitting here for almost an hour praising it. I was trying to get it at something earlier by saying, you know, where do you see the shortcomings sort of thing? Because I do think that this is not a perfect movie. Um, it's a very enjoyable movie. It's an, it's a very well put together movie. It's a greatly edited movie. I think that the pacing is great, except for those action scenes that just drag a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, me being me, I think the beginning's just a little bit too clunky. Uh, for its own good in, like, the first 15 minutes. But once it gets past that, it, it's, it's sort of, like, got it out of its system sort of thing. And we've made reference to the effects and how they're, they're dodgy and the compositing falls through. But I, I got to come back to that because I have to ask, this is such a high-profile movie. This is such an important movie to a lot of people for very specific reasons. This is a very important movie to the crew, to the cast... Why is it that the effects come through less than perfect? Wouldn't you think that this would be something where there would be a a command from on high? Whoever's working on this, this is the A team. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, for instance. We both praise the fact that that continues Gunn's trajectory of Mm -hmm. very clearly communicating. I don't think Kugler has any problem communicating. Do you think that because Infinity War is the next in the release schedule, right? Infinity War is after this, I, right? They're
0: literally filming them side by side in Atlanta at this time. Do you so. think
1: that they were throwing so many resources at Infinity War that that's what caused this to suffer?
0: I have to imagine that's the case. I mean, uh, you're, I mean, they're, they're using effects houses like ILM, but I mean, you're using like 50 other effects houses. Yeah. And, um, I do think that you're absolutely right on target. They, they're also working on a war. And then of course, all those effects houses other have other movies they're working on too. And, I don't think that this movie gets the sole attention that it needs. Um, I think unlike guardians, which especially that first movie where so much of it takes place in space and stuff, it's easier to hide effects work. Yeah. Uh, You know, here we're on planet earth and it's much different to hide effects work in broad daylight. Um, It just always is. Uh, So But yeah, I mean, it it just, it does. And I I think it's disappointing that that's the case for this movie because I do feel like, like you said, it is a high-profile movie. And I think it is an important movie for a good reason. Uh, And, you know, it's just not something that we got, we've had a ton of, which is, you know, black characters being heroes on screen. And, And I would say in the genre, having an entire movie where, it's led by all black cast except for Everett yeah. Ross, you know, um, who's a, just another token white guy that they have to save.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which well, is great. Well, uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I like the fact that you know you have somebody who's actually a, um, you know, is a CIA character, and he, mm-hmm. he, there, there's a commentary where he talks about Killmonger's past, and he's like, yeah, you know, that's part of the thing he did was he showed up and he help destabilize a country so we could take the resources sort of thing and it's like killmongers literally doing what you know <laughs> the US or the USSR or China or anybody else would have done to Wakanda yep had they known exactly. about it yep and it's like I, it's a really pointed commentary and a good point do you know like to to, mm-hmm. to draw um, you know to draw attention to yeah um, and that's why I think his character works so well is he goes on his own journey of discovery where he's like oh crap this is kind of our fault still.
0: Yeah, no, I 100% I think you know Ross being there as a character is is one that kind of helps bring all of these themes really full circle and helps make them more poignant and but it's also something to which I think Kugler does such a, a good job of walking every line he needs to in a way that Makes the messages the most meaningful they can for the most amount of people, which is exactly what you want from this type of film. You do want to leave people thinking from this film, right? But you don't want to turn them off to the point where they won't be thinking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think he does a great job of helping people to be able to think through some of these ideas without making it to the point where they, they want to reject it.
1: Well yeah and I mean it, it, it so, does what sci-fi is supposed to do. Yeah. It couches it in a fictional narrative so that when you're brought with these ideas that you might be resistant to, you listen to it and then you suddenly say, "Oh yeah, that is kind of like that thing." Isn't it? That's yeah. that's what all good sci-fi does.
0: We uh I did mention earlier, you know, that Gornton comes in and does the score here. Uh, how do you feel that it brings this world to life.
1: I think it's fantastic. I do. I think Gorenson's score is great. It it, it works on every level. And um, like, you know, Wakanda has a sound and that's, you you can't, you can't um, overstate how important that is because the sound of a place is very important for you to believe in it. And I think Gorenson does that for Mm -hmm. sure.
0: Well, and what's really cool is the way in which he gives Killmonger a more hip hop beat, yeah, to the 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 more tribal sound that you get for the rest of Wakanda and for T'Challa, and the way it all mixes together, I think, is done perfectly. And you know, this is right up Goren's alley by using a lot of like drum sounds and the electronic sounds and those kind of things, married with more traditional score in places. Um, All of his, you know, gifts are, are right on target here. So I'm there right there with you. I, I'm, it could be one of the most successful scores for Marvel, mainly because what this score does is it, it sets you in the, in Wakanda. Like it, it creates an audio sound to which you immediately know where you are which is one of the jobs of a good score. It's not always just to be a theme you can remember, but to help you set you in a place and make you feel that place through the music.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, I I don't know. I mean, I guess the only question I have for you then is, is there anything else that came across for you in your rewatch year that we haven't covered yet?
1: No, outside of those pacing issues, um, you know, and those action beats you know that 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 occur uh no I, I think we've covered pretty much every base i am I am ready to deliver my my revised rating for Black Panther
0: ooh, ooh, I like the sound of that. Well, what is it, John?' Because I'm on the edge of my seat
1: Well, uh Black Panther jumps up a half star from my original uh rating jumps from a three and a half to a four, and this is a solid four. This is a movie that I can come back to, I could rewatch. Um. again I know we've spent an hour pra- way more praise it might be like well why isn't it a four and a half or five but I do have a problem with those pacing issues in the action scenes I do think that there are points where it can be tightened up it can be streamlined and everybody should know full well that I'm a hard ass when it comes to that sort of thing and, and so, are. so it's a four it is a solid four I could see it going up on a future rewatch sort of thing, because I do think it's got a great flow. I do think it's got great performances. I do think it's a good script. I think it's a smart script. I think that's that can't be uh, oversold. But uh solid four for me. What about you?
0: I think this movie really benefited from being on the heels of Thor Ragnarok.
1: <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah.
0: But at the same time, this movie jumped up an entire star for me. And so it went from a three and a half to a four and a half. And part of that was because I realized, like Guardians, it had done such a good job of being its own movie, really. And creating a world to which it's interesting to be in. And with incredible acting performances. Great thematic elements. So pretty much everything I love. And really I I think it comes down to. We talked about the effects here. And and we talked about the fact. That I do think that some of the action beats. Could have been cut down a little bit. And made a little bit tighter. And I think that's. This movie would have been a five star movie. Um, But. I think that this is an incredibly well-done movie, and I think – I'll i will be honest. I, I think for me, it's, it's great that this movie turns out to be as good as it does because, yes, it is important, and it's important to a lot of people for all the right reasons, I think. And I am thankful that this movie did turn out that way because how frustrating would it have been if it hadn't, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm very thankful that that's the case. So, uh, which will be fascinating because we'll get to a movie to which that same weight, it's on its shoulders. And I don't know if that's going to be the same case for something like Captain Marvel. So, um, no with,
1: time will just have to tell on that. It'll one.
0: have to tell. Um, <laughs> but, John, this leads to the question then, if it jumped up to a four... Yeah. What did this do to the rankings for Castlevania?
1: Well, this this is one of those things where I'm having a tough time with it. Like, where where to slot it? I'm having a fair amount of uh, trouble finding the right slot for it, uh, in fact. I um, can honestly say it's really enjoyable. I really think it's superbly put together. I think that it's, like I said, it's a solid four. Um, and I think that winds up putting it, uh, you know, you know, that this is, this is kind of crazy, but it disrupts things, uh, a fair amount actually, uh, because my rankings now go Captain America, the winter soldier. I will anything topple that from the top slot. Who knows? That is a good question. Anything's possible. Uh, Iron Man three Ant-Man. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and again, so that people aren't like, "Well, really?" But you know, you gave that a four, and that's at the fours I cry at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two like three times. Okay, so sue me. That 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 movie resonates for a lot of reasons. Um, Iron Man, the original one, and then uh, I I gotta be honest, Black Panther comes in after that. And then Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange, Civil War, First Avenger, Hulk, Thor, Spider-Man, uh, Homecoming, Avengers, Thor, The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Ragnarok. And my new favorite thing to hate on in this list, Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> so there you go. What about you? Where does Black Panther end up?
0: Well, this, this did. It, it changed some things, John, uh, for me as well. So uh, we've got the Winter Soldier. Iron Man, Iron Man 3, Civil War, and the First Avenger. And then we've got Black Panther. And then it's Guardian of the Galaxy 2, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, The Incredible Hulk, Mm -hmm. Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, Thor the Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Age of Ultron, and the thing that we should all hate, Thor Ragnarok.
1: Well there you go. So again, yeah. it's the little differences. Like yeah. uh yeah. like Vincent Vega might say. It's just the little differences yeah. between our lists that are so interesting.
0: And and it's I mean, you know, yeah, Black Panther really jumped up there. So I think there are some movies coming up that I'm going to be fascinated to see. Do they drop? Do they stay where they are or whatever? Because it has a lot to do with what happens in my list. So it's going to be fascinating, John. But we mentioned that there was a movie that comes next, but you are throwing a curveball at us. So can you explain that to the listeners?
1: Okay, this is going to sound really dumb as to why my thought process works like this, but but I'm going to introduce you to the way John's brain works, okay? I was showing Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom to my youngest child. It was time. Um, youngest child found no part of it scary, which concerns me slightly. Okay, that's fine. It is my child, so I guess that kind of makes sense. Uh, and... Uh, I'm sitting there, and it was Willard Hoik, or Heik, I, I always mispronounce the last name, and Glory Katz, who wrote American Graffiti, uh, who, who, who wrote the script for Temple of Doom. And as I'm sitting there watching, it, I go, yeah, you know what? They also wrote Howard the Duck. And they did Howard the Duck. And Howard the Duck, technically is in MCU continuity because of the stinger in Guardians of the Galaxy. Nothing about that stinger Mm -hmm. contradicts anything in the movie Howard the Duck. Therefore, I maintain that Howard the Duck is, in (laughs) fact, in MCU (laughs) continuity. And I uh, asked you if you had ever seen it, and you said no. And I said, well, being me, I think we should watch it. And so we agreed to watch Howard the Duck.
0: So before we get to Infinity War, we're going to cover howard the duck yes we are yeah um which should be exciting um before before we you know kind of like sign off john i do have one question for you because you know the one stinger it goes fine with the movie but we do get a stinger here that reminds us that there was that other white boy who was in wakanda
1: and he seems to be (laughs) that's a way to put it yes uh the white the white wolf shows up in the uh in the uh, in the in the second stinger, setting the stage for he's not frozen. Why isn't he frozen? Because we needed a stinger. So
0: and apparently he's feeling much better.
1: Much much better. He is. Uh, he had a nice long nap, and uh, now he just needs a new arm.
0: You know, even though this movie takes place days after,
1: simply Civil days, War. just simply days. days.
0: So, yeah, even though they make it seem like he's been there for a while. Anyway, that's a whole other story, John. But um, if people want to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, and maybe they're just like, you know what? That Kessel Junkie, he's he's worth following. Where can they do that?
1: He isn't. But if you want to, look for Kessel Junkie. That's my brand name. Um, let's connect on Letterboxd, where I do pithy movie reviews. Uh, and you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network, co-hosting two shows. One of them being House Lights, where we look at the work of directors. Uh, as we record this, we are going through the works of John McTiernan of the 1990s. That's a delightful little trip. Uh, and I also co-host a delightful Star Wars show called Aggressive Negotiations with you, Matt Rushing.
0: And of course, uh, you could find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing zero two. You can also find me doing Owl Posts with Dre Kaufman here on the network. We did every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. The 602 Club, where you find all of the fandoms we love in one place. Uh, It's a great show. John is a frequent guest there. And in fact, we do a couple bonus shows in that feed as well. So you get a lot of bang for your buck if you subscribe to the 602 Club. Uh, You can also find me doing The Orb, Literary Treks, as well as Warp 5. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Literary Tracks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. But thank you so much for joining us.
1: Avengers!